Uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about um, talking about our community fellowship, and we're looking at Acts one or Acts twenty one. I'm sorry, and uh, working towards surrender together. How many of you read ahead? <laughs> Melanie, Matt, great. You know, I'll tell you, I'm not going to get on you, but I'm going to say, as a teacher, this is sort of your responsibility <laughs> to read ahead. You know, I'll tell you, when we, sermons are a lot like movies, right? When you see a movie, you're like, wow, that movie was really good, but not as good as the... That's right, that's right. And so, like, for us as believers, like, we have a responsibility to look at the word, what does it say? Be ready, be hungry. And so when you come, we get to enjoy it together as people that are connected. And sometimes you won't, sometimes you don't have time, but I'd really encourage you to make it a part of what you do every week. If you're part of a discipleship group here at All Souls, um, what we've been doing is following, uh, following the sermon. So like what's preached on Sunday is discussed Further in your groups, and that's sort of you know, most of the discipleship groups are doing that. But I, but I encourage you once you do that, then jump to the next one, right? And so, um, when Pastor Tommy he was supposed to preach today, and when he um, had to be gone, I was assigned Acts 21. And uh, there's a, there's a lot of heavy stuff here, and so as I was praying, Lord. Show me, show me what the message is. What can I fit in 25 minutes? And uh, I, I just kept coming back to the surrender together. Surrender together. It's what we're called to do. Uh, next slide. I want to do a recap of uh, Acts 20. All right, last chapter. There were a couple things, and, and forgive me, I'm a teacher. I usually have the small classroom, so my font is small. So I, I'm not a pastor. All right. So, but I, I want you to, the first thing is Eutychus, right? Eutychus is the kid, he's, he's sitting in a room, he's listening to Paul and Luke and all the OGs sitting around telling stories about Jesus, right? They're captivated, they're hungry, they're excited. Uh, he's sitting there and he, he, story after story, starts falling asleep, he falls out of the window. He's a lot like an, I'm an 80s kid. And uh, one of the things we always talk about growing up is, where were mom and dad, right? <laughs> because we did all kinds of things like this, sit in windows, jump off garages, ridiculous, ridiculous things, right? Uh, so Eutychus falls out of the window, three stories, and Paul goes down, stretches out, and prays for him. He's raised from the dead, and, okay, let's go back inside. And they go back inside and finish hanging out until the sun comes up. That's one story. The second story is the bombshell that Paul drops. Right? Paul, the missionary. Paul, the one who is bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul, the one taught by Gamaliel who knows the scriptures, who is the most learned of all the Jewish believers. He drops this bombshell to the elders in Ephesus. He invited them, come to this port city. We're going to talk a little bit. And this is what he says. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I know only that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. 
My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task to testify to the good news of God's grace. And, BTW, you're never going to see me again. So, can you imagine? Like, he, he lived with these people in Ephesus. He taught them, led them to Jesus, discipled them. And, and he goes, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm never coming back. This is what the Holy Spirit has said to me. Wow, and that's where, we, that's where we start, Acts 21. All right, and uh, so next, oh, oh, I'm supposed to, I, this is my job. This is my job. Uh, you know, when, when we think about Paul, right, Paul is running from place to place, and um, he is chased by these Jewish leaders who are very angry at his message, that he's preaching a Messiah, that he's preaching, that that the rumor is out there that he is encouraging some new followers who are Jewish not to follow the law of Moses, right? Scandalous, he's being chased. And I was thinking, who in in modern day knows persecution? It's it's something that we often throw around uh, very popularly in our culture. Oh, I'm persecuted. No, you're not. Like, you can go home to your house, Right? There are no signs at the bus station with your face on them. Right? You can keep a job, get hired. Right? Like we, we don't know it like others know it. And, and so what came to mind, I'm, I'm rereading this book, The Heavenly Man. Any of you ever hear of uh, Brother Yoon and his wife, Dee Ling? Amazing book, right? And I'm rereading it again, and they have this thing called fleeing evangelism, right? It wasn't that they ran away and avoided evangelism. It was that they would share the good news of Jesus and then run like crazy because the cops are chasing them from town to town. This is the life that Paul was experiencing increasingly as he feels led to go to Jerusalem. Uh, last time I, I spent too much time uh, on maps. I was told that last time I spoke. So I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna show you real quick. Just give me a second, all right? The, the cannonball run that Paul is making to get to Jerusalem in time for, uh, for Pentecost, right? So he's, he's racing here. These are the cities, right? As, as we read the text, these are the cities that, that we're gonna see, right? He, he uh, He's landing. It takes about four boat trips. He takes a long overland trip to get to Jerusalem. And I wanted to give you a picture so that you could see what that looks like. If you look up top, you see Rome. Everybody's familiar with that part of our geography. And, um, and did I do that? All right, so we're, we're going to read now. So we, st- we stand. So if you're comfortable standing, we stand for the reading of God's word. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by the straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload the cargo, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. 
When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with their wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Ptolemais, and we, gre we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who all prophesied. While we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus, the last time I preached Acts 11, we, that was the first time we met Agabus, and he, remember he predicted the famine in Jerusalem? Okay. Uh, while we were staying with, for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people, all right, Luke's writing, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm not ready, I'm not only ready to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, he ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus an early disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They all are zealous for the law and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear, they will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under vow Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what has, they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. All right, let's, uh, let, let's, you, you can be seated and... Um, Lord Jesus, as, as we look at the text... Uh, you, your words are clear. Um, Lord, there's so much here, and uh, we want to be obedient to you. Lord, we want to love your word. Thank you for uh, your word that we can study. It is living and active. And uh, so we, uh, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. That's quite a chunk of scripture, right? You can thank Pastor Tommy for giving me that scripture. Um, so this, this passage is really about working things out together, right? Usually when we think about the second half of Acts, we're like, oh, that's about Paul. 
But in fact, there are so many pieces, there's so many relationships, so many connections, and that's the beauty of the church, right? We have so many. The web is wide because we love each other. We want to know each other. We want to be encouraged. We, we're connected. And, uh, and this passage is really about that. I want to go through the castle. Oh, man, that's really small. <laughs> so I want, I want to just cover some of the characters that are mentioned in this passage, okay? Starting at 20, these are his companions that are mentioned in the text, right? Paul is traveling with Luke and Timothy, Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Tychicus, and Trophimus. Those are the ones on the boat, and there are others that are not named, right? Then they visit the Ephesian elders, their spouses and children, Philip the evangelist and his four daughters who prophesy, Agabus the famous prophet now, Nason who was an early disciple who they lodged with, James the brother of Jesus who was also somewhat of an overseer of several of the churches in Jerusalem, and, and it says all the elders in the passage, right? All the elders of Jerusalem and all the extended family. The, this is the community with which Acts 21 is taking place. And, um, and what are they talking about? They're talking about what happened in Acts 20. They're talking about, one, the crazy thing that Paul said to the Ephesians, Ephesian elders. They've had a long boat ride to talk about this, right? They're talking about that, and they're also talking about the prophecies that followed, right? Paul was very clear. He's like, the Holy Spirit has showed me from town after town that this is, is what I have in front of me. And then in, in verse 4, in chapter 21, it says that through the Spirit, they warned Paul, said Paul shouldn't go. And then Agabus comes with this super dramatic event, right? He takes Paul's belt, he puts it around his feet and his hands. He's all wrapped up. And, uh, and he gives this prophecy. And we'll look at that, and, and if we can try to think about what Paul must have been feeling, right? He was so sure of himself, right? He was so sure that God was leading him to Jerusalem, but now he's hearing all these things, and, and people are saying, God said it, right? You should stay. Agabus, one of the most famous prophets now in the church, is saying, Hey, this is going to happen to you. And in truth, we're going to see in the rest of the chapter 21 when Pastor Tommy comes back that actually Agabus didn't get it right either. His prophecy about, you know, being captured and handed over, no, it was actually, it was actually the Romans and the Gentiles that rescued Paul from the mob. And you look and you go, why? What is going on here? And, and, and I'm convinced, and this is why I love Luke, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, he is so detailed that we read a lot just now, right? About every step, every city, every relationship, verbatim, like Agabus, this is what he said. As we look at that, we go, wow, what's happening? What's happening here? This is what they were talking about, and... Uh, it made me think of a story. I'm going to just share a little story from my 20s. In my 20s, I was, uh, I loved whitewater kayaking. And uh, my friend Kirk and I, we were really into it. And we'd go on trips around the country. 
And uh, we, we're, we were invited to go to this, it was called a week of rivers. It was seven days, one river, travel to the next river, travel to the next river. Really gnarly big water. We were so excited. And the cool thing was, these are with other believers, right? We're with people who love the Lord and, and we can encourage each other over something that we had in common. So we're really excited about it. The morning of the trip, we have the van loaded with all the boats. We've got sleeping bags, all the food, all the stuff. We're ready to go, and a friend of ours pulls up to our place in Washington, D.C., and gets out of the car and goes, hey, you can't go. I said, why? She said, uh, you can't go. I had a dream last night that I think was from God, and in my dream, you died. You both died. So, okay, what, what, what do we do with that? What do, you, what do you do with that? When we felt like God was putting in something in front of us and now somebody is saying, but God said, right? She didn't quite use those language. A- Agabus, man, Agabus said, basically, thus saith the Lord, right? And uh, it's interesting when you read the second half of Luke 21, it's like uh, Luke kind of subtweets at him a little bit, Right? You, you know, you said this, but this is what happens, right? That's part of the detail. Uh, but she says, uh, you know, she, she says, you can't go. And, and, and we had a long conversation and put a lot of stress on us. And then we said, you know what? We're, uh, we thank you for your concern. But we're going. It was hard. It was hard. Um, and we went, and uh, as we were going, she was like, I'm praying that you don't die. And I'm like, thank you for praying that we don't die. Like, you know, and we left and we were together when we left. It was hard, but we left and we were, we, we, we cared for each other, right? Um, this brings me to the point that I, th- I think is very clear in so many stories, and we see it. There's a reason why Luke records this, is the voice of the Holy Spirit when it's processed through a filter, right, of fear and concern for the physical, right? It changes the message, right? It leads to poor counsel, misguidance. This is really clear, right? Because you look at it and you go, well, Agabus said this, and the response of all the people was, don't go, don't go. What's he saying? He's saying, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna face, you're gonna be bound and taken away. We don't know what the first prophecy was because, you know, they, they sort of couched it in through the Spirit we're telling you not to go, but Luke records that for some reason, that maybe hearing from the Lord and the way they expressed it, the way they delivered the message wasn't right. Like, as we look at this, I, th- I think Luke is hinting that there was a common, there was, this is, this is the intent that God has for, uh, for our friend Paul. It's really important that we don't allow our own agenda to cloud what we feel God has for us. Right? Um, you know, th- th- I-, I love this next passage because, uh, you know, if that kind of thing happens, I don't know how you would respond. Like, if we're like, no, God said this, no, God said this, no, God said this, and you get in a fighting match, and if you're really an Old Testament person, you start picking up stones, right? <laughs> you're false prophet. You know, but man, they do something really amazing here. This is right after Agabus does his super dramatic demonstration with, with the belt. Um, 
When we heard this, this is, this is the collective we, including Luke, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not to be bound. I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14 blows my mind. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. You know, Paul had, Paul had ambitions, right? Paul had a vision. The Lord had given Paul a vision to reach the ends of the earth. We go back to what's said in Matthew 28, right? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, right? And you'll be my witnesses. He's got that in mind. He's thinking about the globe. We've seen it in his actions. There is the known world is, is his goal, right? And yet, Paul has surrendered to where he feels like the Holy Spirit is leading him. All right, we're going to Jerusalem, Lord. I'm gonna be in prison, Lord. Okay, this is where you're taking me. And now, the rest of the church says, okay. Okay, we're ready to surrender too. Why? Because this was terrifying. They were afraid they were gonna lose this person that they loved so deeply. They were gonna lose the most learned scholar in the, in the young church. They were gonna lose somebody that had such a vision for the expansion of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus and, and uh, that was scary. But finally, okay, let the Lord's will be done. Let the Lord's will be done. Isn't that, isn't that how Jesus taught us to pray? Let your kingdom come and your will be done, right? And, uh, and, and so this passage, it blows my mind. Lord, let us have this kind of faith that we can say when we disagree or we are unsure, okay, let your will be done. Well, I mean, nothing we're gonna do is gonna change it, right? And our most important work is, is the work of surrender. It is. There, you know, there, there are two different motifs that, that sort of, you know, in the world they compete. In the kingdom of God, they, they can work together. But here in North America, in the West, we love the motif of warfare. We love it. Fight. Resist. Fight the good fight. Put on the full armor of God. We love that stuff, right? But the more powerful motif in the Bible that starts from the beginning and points to Jesus and from the end points to Jesus is the motif of surrender. That the God of the universe laid his life down for the sins of all men that we can know him. Right? And um, we look at it and we say, wow, this is, this is the heart. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of Jesus, the work of surrender. Um, you know, I, I worked in my younger years, I worked in Somalia, and uh, after I left, there was an article published in the Daily Nation, it was the, the paper in Nairobi, Kenya, and uh, the article said that uh, the imams of Somalia had declared that Christianity had been eradicated from the country. It was gone. And uh, man, that was so heartbreaking for me. Somebody who, who loved that place, loved those people, 
And uh, a few years later, a student asked me, said, you know, what, what's it gonna take for them to know Jesus? And uh, my answer is, you know, going, all the way going back to 622, we, uh, we've, we've been at war with Muslims, right? We had the Crusades, we've had all kinds of skirmishes over the years and border changes. And you just go to southern Spain and explore there a little bit and you, you'll see just the, the, the green line has moved back and forth, back and forth over, over decades and, and centuries. And, and um, I said, you know, it, it, would, it would take surrender. It would take surrender. It would, it, it would, it would mean that I, that I go back and I love people with the love of Jesus and I pray for the sick and I share the truth of the gospel and, uh, and then they shoot me, maybe, you know. And then uh, my, my buddy Mike, you know, he, he, uh, he goes and he does the same thing, loves people in the name of Jesus, shares the gospel, prays for the sick and uh, they stone him and, and as the bodies pile up, feel a little heavy right now. As the bodies pile up, people start to say, wait, this Jesus thing isn't what we thought it was. We thought it was a mindset and a morality and earthly power, but there's something different here. One person can be crazy, maybe two, but these Jesus followers are just different. Because it's about love, it's about surrender, and our hero, our Lord, our Savior laid, laid it down in the greatest way possible. And our heroes of the faith laid it down. And how much more are we called to do that? So our most important work is surrender. You know, when we, we look at, uh, we look at Paul, and we look at the elders in Jerusalem. And those, those are sort of the two key passages, right? Portions in this passage. Uh, Paul had ambitions. If you look at Romans 15, he wrote to the Romans. He said in Romans 15, he's like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go disciple people in Spain. And, uh, and I'm gonna come and hang out with you. He's so excited. He was looking forward to that time, but guess what? He didn't go. Why didn't he go? Because the Holy Spirit had another plan and was taking him somewhere else, right? The church leaders in Jerusalem, right, they were scared. They were super scared. Did you feel the fear in that section, that latter section? They're, they're afraid. They're afraid that, man, Paul, you gotta, you gotta fix this, right? Things are gonna blow up if you don't say something. If you don't demonstrate your appreciation for the law of Moses and show the Jews that you are not against Moses, you have to do this, right? And, and that was what they, that's, that's what they wanted to see. They wanted, they wanted to end to the strife. And, and what happened? Well, something very different, right? Instead of an end to false accusations and misunderstanding, the conflict became even more tenuous Right, where we see in chapter 21 and 22 and 23 and 24 and 25, 26, 27, 28. We're going to see it continue. Right? We, uh, we, we all have, in our mind, we think about how we think it should work. Right? Don't we? Um, you know, we, we, um, I want you to get this point that we see in the passage, surrender to the Lord is, is always the better thing. All right? We, we, we tend to want to demand from God 
in our prayers, right? Like as if we know best, right? Honestly, I want you to think about this for a minute. Do you know better? Do you feel like you know better than your heavenly father who is powerful, created the universe, and yet has God's eyes on you? You know better? When we do that, when we think, hey, I know best, um, we reveal our lack of belief in the, that the mysteries of God can be trusted. We reveal the lack of belief that the mysteries of God can be trusted. Can I trust my future to God? Because we tend to, we tend to want to manipulate when we're afraid. That's what the elders were doing in Jerusalem. They're like, we can fix this, right? We just have to do this over here. Surrender's the better thing. So last Sunday before church, um, my, um, my super amazing mom and my two super amazing nephews, I had to take them to LaGuardia at a super unamazing hour of 4 a.m. So that, that part went great. And then I come back, I'm coming up and I'm like, I, I love my wife so much, I don't want her, I don't want to wake her up. So I'm coming up on the Palisades, I take that Yui to catch exit three, and I park and I walk across the pedestrian bridge that goes to the Women's Memorial on the Palisades. Anybody ever go there? Gorgeous, amazing place to watch the sunrise. As the sun is coming up, I'm standing there and I, I'm just, I'm like, Lord, you, you, uh, you have us, I, I trust you. Sometimes we have to say that over and over, right? Any of you, uh, I trust you, and then the more we, we think, the more we get out of our heads, we're like, yes, I, I trust you. And the, the song that, that, that comes from this verse in Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never fail, they never come to an end, they're new every morning, great is your faithfulness, right? Those words kept going through my head. Praise your faithfulness, Lord. New every morning, I'm seeing the sun come up. As I'm going, you know, I saw the sun come up and enjoyed it. I, I, was, I was full of hope. And I walk away, I'm walking back, and you know, all the raspberry bushes in, in, uh, in our neighborhood, are, they're all empty. And um, anybody have raspberry bushes? You still have raspberries in your yard? Nice. Well, we're all out, and I wanted some raspberries. I'm walking back, and there is this big, beautiful raspberry bush. And I was eating by the handful, you know, just and saying, Lord, thank you for your new mercies. I was just reminded, like, wow. And I was reminded of, you know, in, in Matthew 6, where, you know, the, Matthew says, you know, the, the lilies of the field, not even Solomon is dressed in this splendor. How much more am I going to take care of you? Surrender. As I was talking about it with my wife last night, she, she was like, well, it, it's kind of, about, it's, it's, it's like trust, isn't it? Tr- trust and surrender, and yes, it is trust and surrender. It's saying, Lord, I trust you to take care of me. I trust you for my future. I trust you to help me with these situations. You know, some of us don't know, well, how do I surrender? What does that look like? We go back to Paul, man. Paul, Paul, had, Paul had a lot of juice, but his juice was connected to the Lord Jesus, right? 
And so how do we surrender? By living and walking in the words of Jesus. Right, but following, following what we see in Matthew 28, right? Teaching others to follow his commands. That's it, that's it. And so uh, may we be a people of surrender. May we be a people that are so focused on the word of God and hungry to know what he has for us. May we be a people that can surrender together, right? as unity that we, we're humble enough to go, okay, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna join you. I, I, now, I now see it, why? Because the Spirit of God is in all of us. The Holy Spirit is working in all of us and, and may we be humble enough to believe not our will, but his will be done. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord God, we, uh, we thank you so much. Lord, your blessings Lord, your goodness, your faithfulness to your people. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, there's so much in this. We could talk about this passage all day. But uh, Lord, we're just so grateful that you teach us, that you instruct us, that your Holy Spirit is working through, uh, through your family, through your community. And uh, so we, we honor you. And we say to you this morning, we trust you above our own judgments. We trust you over our own opinions. We surrender our egos. We surrender our desires to be what we want to be, knowing that you have the best in mind. Lord, you have the best in mind. Lord, you're the designer. You're the maker. You're the maker of our bodies, our souls, our minds. So Lord, we, uh, we just say this morning that we give it to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.